you have a Bible, you can open up to Psalms chapter 100. Psalm 100, we want to thank you, or we want to greet those of you that are joining us online. And um, we are in week two of our Presence of God series. Week two of our Presence of God series. We're going to be in Psalm 100 tonight. How many of you were here with us last week? Okay, okay, all right, very cool. So last week, as we've, this is a two-week series. Last week, we looked at kind of the theological framework for the presence of God, okay? And we looked at, throughout the pages of Scripture, that God has always desired to dwell with His people. God's always desired for us to be with Him and for Him to be with us. But we saw that kind of right away in the story of humanity, that things went sour. That because of sin entering into the picture, because of fall, that this relationship in in which man and God were to be together, it couldn't be like that anymore. Sin had entered into the picture. There's a chasm between humanity and between God. And we saw that there was different sacrifices and different requirements that were made in order for man to come back and to experience even a glimpse of the presence of God. But then we saw that because God has always pursued his people, that God has always desired to be with his people, that Jesus made a way when there was no other way for us to be restored in relationship with God, that we may experience his presence. And last week we, we looked at that verse in Hebrews chapter 4, that we can now enter into the throne of grace to find mercy and to find grace in our time of need. So last week, we looked at that theological framework, that there was kind of this shift from the Old Testament where we had to do certain things in order to enter into the presence of God. But then, because of Jesus, now the presence of God dwells within the heart of a believer. Okay? You guys following? You remember that? So we laid out that theological framework. Today, we're going to look at the practical side then. If the presence of God, if we now have access to the presence of the God who created the heavens and earth, if the Holy Spirit indwells us, and the presence of God now lives within our heart. Our heart is now we are a temple of the living God. Then what are some practical ways that we can discover his presence and the power of his presence in day-to-day life? That's what we're going to look like. Look at in Psalm 100. Is that good? Are you with me? Yeah. Are you following? Okay, Psalm 100. We're going to read, we're going to pray, and then we're going to just kind of dive into three practical ways that we can experience the presence of God in day-to-day life. Psalm 100, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, Psalm 100, verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Everyone make a joyful noise. There we go. Yeah. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. That's exactly what we've done today, right? Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. 
Lord Jesus, we do come before you. And we thank you. We enter into your courts with thanksgiving. We thank you, Jesus, that you made a way when there was no other way. We thank you, Jesus, that you made a way at the cross for us to be restored in relationship with the Father. I thank you, Jesus, that you made a way for us to enter into your presence and for your presence to enter into us. Jesus, we praise you as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the author of life, as the beginning and the end. We praise you, Jesus. Redeemer. God, we praise you for who you are. And right now, Lord, we surrender this time, our thoughts, our distractions, our motives, our hearts to you. And we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would teach us how to experience your presence. And we invite your presence, your spirit into this place this evening. In Jesus name, everyone said, amen. Well, my wife and I, we've been married for five years and we're going on to six years. All right. Five years going on to six. Somehow we've managed to have three kids in that entire time. Please pray for her. Oh my goodness. It's been crazy, but it's been so much fun. And I fumbled my way through marriage. I mean, we've gotten married young and, and I fumbled my way through, but I've learned a few lessons along the way. Okay. One of the things that I've learned, and I think anyone who has been married can attest to this, that the longer you're married, the more pet peeves you discover that your spouse has. Anyone? Okay. Like the deeper and the longer, the more you know each other, you figure out like, oh, that really kind of bothered you. So I asked my wife recently, I said, honey, what are some pet peeves of mine that I do that just kind of rub you the wrong way? Well, one of them is I just kind of am notorious um, I just want to apologize to all the office ladies and people that have pins. I'm notorious for finding pins, putting them in my pocket, reusing them, like to write all the time, whether it's a journal or to write on some piece of paper. And then when I get home, I just leave them around the house. And I've got three toddlers at home or two toddlers and a little baby. So if I leave pins around the house, what happens? You know exactly what happens. The pins go all over the wall. And so then my wife has to clean them up. Honey, I'm sorry. So that's one pet peeve I've discovered. Okay, I just have this weird little thing to put pins in my pocket and leave them all over the place. Another one is five out of the seven days of the week, I make breakfast in the morning. Okay, my wife, it's just the way we've done it. She does the night shift with all the kids. I do the early morning with them. And so I end up making breakfast. Well, I am a terrible cook. Okay, I'm terrible. I'm learning. I'm getting better slowly so that my kids love my breakfast tacos. So I got that going for me. But I've got this thing for oatmeal, okay? I like oatmeal. And I think it's nutritious. The kids like it. But I have this weird thing that I do. For some reason, I do not like to use measuring spoons or any of that. Follow any recipes. And I make enough oatmeal to feed half this church every time I make oatmeal. It's just this weird thing. So by the time my wife wakes up and she's like, honey, why is there so much oatmeal? And she up throwing it away. So that's one of the pet peeves. And, you know, I'm sure there's many, many more I am soon to discover. But you also, the longer you're
you're in relationship with someone, the deeper the relationship gets, you also discover different things that they're attracted to. Like there's certain things that I've learned that my wife really, really appreciates and that when I do them or when we do them together, it actually deepens our relationship. Okay, one, not a big surprise, but date nights. Like when we started going on consistent date nights and we made the sacrifice to pay a babysitter to come over and take that time to go go out, it deepened our relationship. Uh, when, when I just take a moment to affirm her, just kind of randomly, she appreciates it. It, I, it attracts her. She wants to be around me more when I'm encouraging her. Big surprise. But it deepens our relationship. So there's things, as you're, you're in a relationship with someone longer, you discover things that repels them. But you also discover things that attracts them, okay? And as we consider the presence of God, we need to consider that Jesus is a person. We need to consider that the Holy Spirit is a person. That God is three persons in one. He is a triune God. And we love to preach how it's all a a relationship and not a religion. Well, as a relationship, it still requires some sort of work. It requires some sort of communication. And the longer we are in a thriving relationship with the Lord Jesus, we will discover there are certain things that repel or, as the scriptures say, grieve the Holy Spirit. And there's also certain things that will attract his presence, okay? So we ended last week with kind of that diagram. Do you remember the diagram at the end of the week? That the presence of God now comes into our heart, right? And then as a body collectively that the presence of God is here in a unique way, in a more tangible and manifest, he manifests his presence. Well, how do we then cultivate in our hearts a way to experience the presence of God in day-to-day life. That's what we want to focus on in our time together tonight. We want to ask the question, what is it that we can do that actually attracts the presence of God? The scriptures say to draw near to God and God draws near to us. So there is certain things that we can do that actually attracts his presence, that we may experience his presence in a more tangible way. Now, don't get it wrong. We're not trying to work our way into God's presence. That's already happened. God's worked his way down to us. He's presently here among us. But I've used this illustration before. Just like I'm here in this room with you, if I got on this stage and I sat next to you, I've drawn closer to you. I've drawn near to you. And there are certain things that the Bible lays out guidelines that we can actually do to deepen our relationship with Jesus with the Holy Spirit, that he might draw near to us in a more tangible way. Okay, are you following? So three things that we're going to look at tonight, and we can say it like this. Three ways to experience God's presence in prayer, or three ways to attract God's presence in prayer. And there's the key word there. Again, it's prayer. Prayer is our connection place with God. But let's actually define this and look at it through these three words. Thanksgiving, praise, and surrender. And we actually see it outlined here in Psalm 100 verse 4. We're going to allow Psalm 100 verse 4 to be like a guideline to show us ways in which we can attract the presence of God. Now, I just want to say up front, this is not a formula 
for getting the Holy Spirit heebie-sheebies or like to have this crazy experience with God. It's not a formula, but it is a guide. It's a posture. It's an attitude of our heart that when we adopt this attitude, it is It attracts the presence of God that our relationship with him might deepen. So number one, thanksgiving. Let's read Psalm 100 verse 4 again. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. All throughout the scriptures, we'll see in a moment, that prayer and thanksgiving actually go hand in hand throughout the Bible. We see prayer and thanksgiving or giving thanks to God side by side throughout both the Old and the New Testament. But let's take a moment to define thanksgiving, okay? Let's define thanksgiving. Thanksgiving can be defined like this. It is agreeing and acknowledging what God has done. Thanksgiving is to agree and to acknowledge what God has done. Stop and think for a moment just how we've adopted this tradition, probably in your household like mine, where before we sit down and eat a meal together, we bless the meal and we give thanks to the meal, right? Is that just some kind of tradition that we do as a, as a senseless just kind of liturgy? No, the idea of actually giving thanks for our meal is to acknowledge for a moment and to agree that this meal that's placed in front of me and my family has come from God. It hasn't come from me. It hasn't come from my wife. Even though maybe I worked and I earned the money that was used to purchase the food and then my wife cooked the food, what we do when we give God thanksgiving for that moment in prayer is we just stop to acknowledge that God was the one who provided the job for me and this skill set to earn that money. He's the one that provided the money and then the skill set for my wife that he hasn't totally provided for me yet to cook the food. All right, it's all come from him. So we're just taking a moment to agree, hey, this actually didn't come from me. Hey, kids, this didn't come from daddy. We're just taking a moment to acknowledge that God has provided for this food that we are about to eat. Thanksgiving, it is to agree and to acknowledge what God has done. So when we thank God for a day, when we, we, we pray and usually, you know, in evening prayers with my kids, we, we thank God for the day. Well, what are we doing? We're just taking a moment to agree and to acknowledge that every day belongs to the Lord. That he is the author of life. And we're just acknowledging that regardless of what this day holds, regardless of what happened in this day, that God is the originator of the day. And we're just giving God thanks. So Thanksgiving is to agree and to acknowledge what God has done. But when we really consider for a moment, when we really consider that definition, we need to be honest about ourselves with something. Because generally, the, this, this idea of thanksgiving is opposite of our natural tendency to do. Okay, think of this definition, to agree and to acknowledge what God has done. Our natural tendency is not to acknowledge what God has done. Our natural tendency is to forget How many of you are forgetters like me? Have a terrible memory, okay? It's like all the guys in the room raise their hand. Women just have this incredible memory. It's like God just designed them in that way. No, forgetfulness. We have this tendency to forget. We we don't have the tendency to give God thanks for everything or to acknowledge 
Him. We do not have the tendency to remember and to give thanks. We have the natural tendency to forget what God has done and to complain about what God is not doing or hasn't done. If we're really honest with ourselves, that's our natural tendency. is to forget and to complain. Rather than thanking God and acknowledging what he has done, we murmur and complain for what we do not have. At least this is in my life. That's my natural tendency. And we see this throughout the scriptures as well. Consider for a second the nation of Israel. It was literally days after God miraculously brings them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, they literally watched all the Egyptians, their enemies, drown in the Red Sea. And then they find themselves complaining because they don't have the food they want to eat. And we laugh at that and we consider the, 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 the nation of Israel. But the reality is we do the same exact thing. God meets us in an incredible way. Or maybe he actually just speaks silently into our hearts and encourages us with something. And we sense that joy and that peace. And then how quick we are to forget and to complain. In fact, it was complaining and murmuring that really highlighted the attitude in the state of the nation of Israel in the wilderness. And it caused them to be stuck. Their murmuring and complaining led them to the sin of unbelief and it prevented them from entering into the promised land. Yet this is our natural tendency all the time. We often can complain rather than giving thanks. We complain about our job. We complain about not having enough money. We complain about relationships. We have the tendency to murmur and to complain rather than to give God thanks. Another example. Consider for a moment Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what God said to them? He said, you can have all of this, every single tree in the Garden of Eden, except for one. And rather than giving God thanks for everything that they had, they wanted, you could say that they complained about not having the one. They were drawn away to the one because they wanted more rather than giving God thanks for all that he had given them. How often do we do the same thing? You see, deep in our hearts, we have this tendency to to complain and to murmur rather than giving God thanks. We also, we also have the tendency rather than acknowledging what God has done, we have the tendency to try to take credit for what God has done. Right? A great example of this is the Tower of Babel. This is the whole state there in Genesis in this account of the Tower of Babel. Rather than giving God credit and giving God glory, they began to build this tower to give themselves glory that their name might be elevated above every other name. And when we think of that, we have to just stop and really reflect in humility and say, how often do we, rather than stopping and giving God the praise, giving God the glory, giving God the credit, how often we can try to defend ourselves and give ourselves the glory and give ourselves the credit for that conversation, for that person, for whatever God was doing in that certain way. Or maybe even look at how much, again, look at how much I've accomplished in life. 
rather than acknowledging that God is the one that directed our path, that God provided those accomplishments, we can have the tendency to still hang the trophies on the wall, so to speak. To always speak about the glory days, about what, what we, we did, rather than the glory days of what God has done in our lives. This is the tendency within the heart of man. It is not thankfulness, it's thanklessness. It's, it's thinking too highly of ourselves rather than thinking highly of God. It's to forget what God has done and to always want more rather than to give God thanks for what ha- he has accomplished. Rather than giving God thanks, we have a tendency to complain, to criticize, and to take credit for what God has done. And Paul the Apostle actually picks up on this in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1 verse 21, we read this. Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now I want you to notice this. I think this is so cool. Romans chapter 1. This, this, this whole section of scripture is a description of the ungodly and the unrighteous person. And prior to this verse, the Apostle Paul is saying that the invisible attribute, attributes of God have been on display in creation and written in the heart of man. That they actually knew God, but notice this, they did not honor him nor give him thanks. Here, the description is about the ungodly, is about the unrighteous who deserve the wrath of God. And he actually stems their unrighteousness and their ungodliness to their thanklessness. That they knew God because creation had displayed the wonders of creation, the handiwork of God is displayed in creation and written on the heart of man. They knew God, but they did not honor him. And they did not give him thanks. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that thanklessness is actually an on-ramp to an impure heart. That thanklessness is a fast track to, the, to a foolish heart. That forgetting or refusing to give God thanks is a gateway to ungodliness. So when we fail to give God thanks, we are just speeding up, so to speak. We are, cra- we are feeding the flesh and the sin nature and the ungodliness within us rather than giving God honor and giving God thanks. The opposite is true of the godly. The godly will, according to Psalm chapter or Psalm 116 and verse 17, we see that the godly will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. The godly will call on the name of the Lord. It says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all the people. And I love this because here in Psalm 116, talking about the, the godly, Notice is he's giving a sacrifice of thanksgiving, calling upon the name of the Lord in the presence of all his people. So not only is this attitude or this heart of thanksgiving supposed to be private, it's also supposed to be corporate. It's also a giving things corporately and giving God glory and giving God credit and acknowledging God and giving God thanks in the presence of other people. But notice there, it says that it is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. 
a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And it's important to note that because there are times when we do not have a desire to give God thanks. We don't want to downplay that there are moments in our lives where there's a tendency to complain and criticize and murmur that oftentimes we're complaining, criticizing and murmuring because of injustice that's in the world, because of different things that are happening, because of discontentment that there might be in some instances a righteous kind of frustration. But even in those moments, we are to sacrifice, to give an offer of a sacrifice of thanksgiving. To choose to pause and to give God thanks. I remember being 16. I think I might have shared this story before. But my, my, my family and I, we moved out to Texas. California kid moving to Texas. And I remember being in my room in Galveston, Texas, and just complaining about life. Just just so mad as a 16-year-old about the hand that was dealt with us. And my grandma on the other line of the phone just saying, Tyler, honey, you just got to give God thanks. The Bible says to give thanks in all things. And I remember just being so frustrated about that. But the reality is, is that we are to stop in moments even when we don't feel like it. To offer God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. To acknowledge what he has done in our life. Not only will that change our perspective on what's happening. It will also draw his presence near. And so we see this idea of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is to agree and to acknowledge what God has done. To fail to give God thanks is actually an attribute and a characteristic of the ungodly and the unrighteous. Therefore, those who are righteous, declared righteous by Jesus, those who are godly, not in our own efforts, but because of what Jesus has done, we are to be people who are to be the most thankful people around. And we actually see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus, we see this life of both prayer and thanks. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 36, in fact, in both the the feedings of the 5,000 and the 7,000, we read, um, it says this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 36, that Jesus took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And this is cool. Because he's giving thanks for the food, even though it's not much. And it also seems, though, that he's giving thanks to the Father in faith of what God is going to do. And so there's also a place where we give God thanks for what he has done. But man, in faith, we can also give God thanks for what he is yet to do. And he's faithful to fulfill his promises. Therefore, someone who is full of faith or persuaded by the promises of God, we can pray in faith the prayer of thanksgiving, not only of what he's done of of what he's yet to do. Jesus also unites this prayer in Thanksgiving when he's having the last meal with the disciples there in the upper room before his crucifixion. We read in Matthew chapter 26 that Jesus took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. And this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we see the Apostle Paul in his instructions to receive communion or to partake of communion. He keeps that same method to give thanks and to remember what Jesus has done. And so thanksgiving is a mark of someone who is godly. 
Thanksgiving is, it says, to enter into the gates of Thanksgiving. Remember, we talked about the temple last week, how there was the outer courtyard and then there was the holy place and the holy of holies. So the idea that the psalmist is describing is the first thing that we do as we enter into the courts is to offer Thanksgiving, which is actually like a sacrifice to the Lord. We're not coming empty handed when we come to him in prayer. When we seek his presence, we come with Thanksgiving acknowledging and agreeing with God with what he has done. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul the Apostle says, Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When we give thanks, it attracts the presence of God. When we fail to give thanks, it grieves the Spirit of God. Thanksgiving can be an on-ramp to experiencing his presence. So we see that's the first, that the first movement here. The first part of the progression in Psalm 104 is to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Number two, it is to praise. It says in his courts with praise. So if we could define thanksgiving as agreeing and acknowledging what God has done, then number two, we can say that praise is agreeing and acknowledging who God is. Is okay. We're praising God for who He is. Notice there's a progression here from our attention and focus from what He has done to who He is. And get this, it's so cool. We see the same progression in heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, we read this in verse 9. In this picture of the throne room, we read that whenever the living creatures, those who are in the throne of heaven, in the throne room of heaven, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now notice, in Romans chapter 1, they failed to honor God and give him thanks. In Revelation chapter 4, this picture of heaven, they are giving God honor and glory. They are giving him thanksgiving. And then that is leading them to this praise, this epic worship set. Just imagine there being in the throne room of God and all this angelic choir is singing, worthy are you, our Lord and God, praising him for who he is. You see, praise gets our attention on to God. Praise re orders our attention to him. And the problem, the reality is, is that so often our attention gets off of him. So often our attention is on all the things that happen and is going on in our world. And that's okay. That's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. But praise is an antidote for us to get our attention back on God. It's also an antidote. It's also helpful for in moments when we doubt. When we're doubting who God is, when we're doubting what God has done, praise is a way of reordering our attention on who he is. And so praise is just praising God for his attributes. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's faithful and true. The beginning and the end, it's just praising God, just shouting out his name and his characteristics and just giving him honor and glory for who he is. Praise recenters our attention. And it draws in his presence. 
Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says this. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So again, it's the idea of sometimes it's a sacrifice. Sometimes we don't feel like praising God. Life is difficult. There's moments when we're sitting beside someone that's suffering or we ourselves are suffering and we don't feel like praising God. But a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice is when we don't feel like it and we continue to praise him. It draws in the presence of God. It's a sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Notice there, praise is also the fruit of our lips. Now, Jesus taught that our lips or our mouths is always a reflection of our heart. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when praise is coming out of our mouths, it's the fruit of our lips of what God is doing in our hearts. A lack of praise is actually a sign of the fruitlessness of what we're allowing God to do in our hearts. And therefore, then it's a reminder when we're acknowledging or recognizing or maybe a close family member, a friend or a spouse is acknowledging there's a lack of praise within our lips. It's an invitation then for us to reorder our hearts. To say somewhere in our hearts we've gotten off, off track. And we need to invite the presence of God back in. And sometimes it's okay then for our sacrifice of praise to begin to praise him for who he is. And when we do at times, our heart can catch up. I've heard people say that, you know, they're, they're in a worship service and there's, a, there's lyrics on the screen. And there's, I've heard people say, I just can't sing those, song, those lyrics right now. I can't sing those lyrics right now because I don't feel that way. Or I don't believe that, that verse. God's never going to let, never going to let me down. I don't believe that right now. I don't believe that lyric about the faithfulness or the goodness of God. I just can't sing that right now because I'm not seeing it in my life. Well, the scriptures tell us that sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise we need to anyways. We're praising him for who he is. It's not about our, our circumstances in the moment. And as we praise him, our heart will get realigned. At the same time, our lack of praise or our praise is a reflection of our heart. There's a connection between our lips and our heart. And so as we continue to praise, it strengthens our heart. Praise is then reordering our attention on God. It is praising him for who he is. And so we see here in Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's the progression. It starts with thanksgiving. And then it progresses to praise. Acknowledging and agreeing with God for what he's done and then for who he is. And then it goes like this. Give thanks to him. Bless 
his name. Which brings us, number three, to surrender. Bless his name. The word for bless here is Baruch, which means to kneel or to bow. And so the idea is literally this progression for thanksgiving. It's like a sacrifice. It's a sweet aroma to the Lord. And then entering into the holy place and praising the Lord and worshiping him and ministering to him. And then entering into the holy of holies and just kneeling and bowing before the very presence of God. Surrendering before him. And you could say it like this. Thanksgiving then is agreeing and acknowledging what God has done. Praise is agreeing and acknowledging God for who he is. And surrender is to abdicate our will to God's will. Now, abdicate's a big word. What's it mean? Abdicate simply means it's used when a king lets go of his authority and his place upon the throne. What is surrender? Surrender is taking a moment to recognize who we are in the presence of who God is. To recognize that we are not the king of our lives and the king of our hearts. And to abdicate, to remove that authority, to remove that place and to surrender to him. To surrender our will, to abdicate our will and our authority for God's will and for God's authority in our life. That he may be king of our hearts. Reminds us of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your spiritual service. It is the reasonable thing to do. If we've praised God for who he is, who in the world are we? We dethrone ourselves and say, God, I want your will and your way to be done in my life. It's exactly the purpose of prayer, in fact. The purpose of prayer, as Jesus taught us to pray, is to say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not mine. So naturally, as we move from praise and realize who God is, we realize who we are. We decrease as he increases. We surrender as he takes control. I believe the key in all of this is simply to remember. It's to remember what God has done and respond in thanksgiving. It is to remember who God is and to respond in praise. It is to remember who we are in light of who God is and respond in surrender. Brother Lawrence wrote this Fabulous little book. If you haven't read it before, I encourage you to pick it up on the practicing the presence of God. And he was this guy, he was this monk. That is everyone just, they're, they're so focused and everyone else in the monastery is so focused of going to their, they're attending the prayer and, and these sacraments and stuff and praising God and worshiping God there. Brother Lawrence is all about the reality that you can worship God anywhere. That because the presence of God is within us, that then, remember last week we ended with that quote of our, our priestly ministerial duties then. 
is to acknowledge his presence anywhere we go. So this little book is all about as, as Brother Lawrence is doing the dishes to acknowledge that he's doing them for the glory and for the majesty of God. He's taking Jesus along with him as he's doing the dishes. He's surrendering to Jesus. He's giving God thanks. He's praising Jesus as he's doing the dishes. Everywhere he goes, he's acknowledging and practicing the presence of God. It's such a word for you and I. Wherever we go, whether whether it's raising kids, whether it's going to work, whether it's doing chores around the house, we do it all for the glory of Jesus. Jesus is with us. And Brother Lawrence says, this. Do not then forget him, but think on him often. Adore him continually. Live and die with him. This is the glorious employment of a Christian. One of the confessions of old says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to live with him or to enjoy him forever. To glorify God. What is it to practice the presence of God? How can we discover the presence of God in day-to-day life? Well, it's to pray. It's to communicate with God. It's to acknowledge God is presently with us. It's as we're acknowledging his presence, what do we do? As we remember and think of him often, we're going to give him thanks. As we think of him often, we're going to praise him. As we adore him continually, we're going to lift up and glorify his name. And as we recognize that he is with us wherever we go, in our families, we're going to surrender him. In the workplace, we're going to surrender to him. At church, we're going to surrender to him. Wherever we go, we are going to surrender to the king as we realize he is on the throne of our hearts. It is Ian Bounds, the great prayer warrior, that says this. And in closing, I'll invite the band to come back up. Ian Bounds says, Man has personal relationships, relations with God, and prayer is the divinely appointed means by which man comes in direct connection with God. Prayer. Anytime, anywhere, entering in To the throne of God with boldness. The throne of grace. To find mercy and to find grace in our time of need. But also just to simply give him thanks. To praise him. And to surrender to him. And when we do, it attracts him. When we do, he draws near. When we do, it's not always this crazy experience, but we'll feel that that light touch of his presence. We will hear that encouraging whisper in our ear. We will experience that peace that surpasses understanding. So here are these three little movements, thanksgiving, prayer, and surrender. What we're going to do in this time together, just for 10 minutes, we're just going to walk through these movements together. We're going to invite the presence of God here. We're going to give him thanks. We're going to praise him and we're going to surrender to him. So King Jesus, we welcome you here in this place. God, forgive us for the moments where we complain, where we criticize, where we fail just to acknowledge you and to give you thanks and to give you glory and to praise you. Forgive us, Lord. Teach us, Jesus. We echo the, 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 the statement of the disciples. Teach us to pray. Teach us to enter into your presence. Jesus, we just want to acknowledge you. 
We want to acknowledge what you've done in our lives. We want to acknowledge the reality that you've brought us from death to life. We want to acknowledge and remember when we were stuck in our sin and our shame. We're stuck in the mess of our lives. We're stuck at rock bottom and you reached down and you picked us up and you placed our feet on the solid ground. We want to remember and we want to give you thanks. We want to give you thanks for answering so many prayers. We want to give you thanks for answering prayers of healing. We want to give you thanks for answering prayers of provision. We want to give you thanks for for guiding us and leading us, answering us prayers where where we're like, God, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? Man, I'm sure so many of us have prayed that prayer and you've led us. You've been faithful to be our chief shepherd, our good shepherd. We thank you. God, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in our marriages, in our parenting. We thank you that when we fail, you pick us right back up. We thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. God, we thank you. And Jesus, we just want to enter into your presence during this time. We welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen.